Hello and welcome back to Climate Conversations with Irish Doctors for the Environment, the podcast where we have engaging and broad-reaching conversations with leading authors, scientists, activists and politicians to discover some of the solutions to the climate and biodiversity crises that threaten our future and learn how these solutions will create a healthier, happier and fairer world. Sorry it's been a few months since our last episode, we've all been very busy, but we're delighted to be back today recording a special episode outside on the Dunsari Rewilding Estate. Dunsari dates back to the 11th century and is located around 35 kilometres northwest of Dublin, covering around 1,600 acres of mixed forests, grasslands and wetlands, and is home to an abundance of wildlife. It's a testament to how quickly nature can recover when given space and time and the freedom to thrive. And we were lucky enough to have a guided walking tour around the beautiful estate with the owner, Randall Plunkett. And he kindly agreed to sit down with us afterwards and further explore his vision for this project. I'm Randall Plunkett. And firstly, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to speak to you all. Uh, I'm Randall Plunkett. I am the owner of Dunsany Estate, also known more popularly these days, Dunsany Nature Reserve. I'm a filmmaker and an active rewilder. Fantastic. We just had an amazing two or three hour stroll through the uh, much of your land and saw some of the kind of rewilding in action, which was incredible to see because we, we previously had Isabella Tree on the podcast from Nepa State and it, uh, it was really interesting chatting to her, and, but it was all quite theoretical to, to see it um, rewilding in, in, in action. It was amazing. You were saying your approach is slightly different in that it's uh, as hands off as, as possible to allow nature to do its thing. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of respect for anyone who does any kind of rewilding. It's it's the evolution of our times. Um, we've perfected food production. We've perfected many things, medicine, etc. But the environment is something that it, we've sort of neglected for a long time. And I think there's a lot that can still be learned from the environment. So anyone promoting nature uh, and anything that regeneration is what I'm after. now. There are many different types of people who have different, different thoughts and every location has different different pros and cons. But I do have a, a um, philosophical opinion that I do and I act in here in Dunsany. And one of the things that we do is uh, no harm. We are a vegan rewilding project. And what that really means is that we just consider all lives to be equal. And if we want uh, the future to change, we have to change ourselves first. And it starts with the way we treat things and the way we treat ecosystems. And uh, you can hear now in the background some children that we've rewilded recently. <laughs> Very happy children. Feral children, part of the ecosystem, sort of like cats. Um, yeah, and you've got some specific kind of projects going on with uh, black Irish bees and rehabilitating otters and your poplar regeneration, so kind of the rarer species trying to foster their um, development, um, as well as all the other wildlife and, and Unf flora. Unfortunately for me, I only took over this place 10 years ago. And to be honest, the writing has been on the wall for a long time, but we really need to do a lot very quickly. And unfortunately, as much as in my family's, uh, the way we live, our, our mantra is uh, festina lente, which means make haste slowly. Well, I'm making haste very slowly, but I'm doing my thing. And uh, the problem with the environment today is that there's no room for debate. We just have to go forward and start challenging a lot of the things that have held us back. There's a lot of uh, science that has been promoted that isn't necessarily fact, that has been promoted to serve a purpose, sell a product. 
And those sciences have become the facts. And the problem is that we're challenging those as much as we can and trying to learn. And science needs to be pure. It's, the, it's how we progress things f further. And the way I feel is that if we can open up an opportunity to discover, to find knowledge, we can change the way we live, we can evolve the way we live into something better. We should always be striving for more. Would you, would you like to tell us, because you were mentioning some science projects and collaborations with universities that you're running on the estate, would you like to tell us more about it? Absolutely. So, when I started this project originally, it was a secret. Nobody knew about it. I've been doing this almost a decade. And um, the idea was, screw the world, I'll do my own thing and it'll just happen. And after a few years of doing it, I realized I was being very, very silly. There is a huge amount of opportunity here, and this estate is really one of the best templates because it has a landmass, there's a lot of neighboring areas around it, and I had been doing it in secret for a long time, and then I started seeing things that I couldn't explain, and a lot of the so-called facts that people used to tell me about the land, and everybody has an opinion, by the way, the people who have done the least of it have the biggest opinions. Um, and I went in this not knowing anything and I began to learn things and I began to see things that didn't make sense to the mainstream. So I realized I was missing a golden opportunity here to give something really beneficial back. And I could change our own reality if we just opened up knowledge. So I started reaching out to scientists, to Birdwatch Ireland, anybody who had knowledge because I had none. Um, and I wanted to try and build as much data as we could uh, because we have the, the science, the, the, the secret to medicine is right under the ground. It's right here. We just have to be willing to look for it. And I believe that medicine is here. I believe that, that environmental restoration can be done just by allowing nature. And I couldn't, I had no proof and I wanted to prove it. So we start, reached out to Trinity first. And then more recently, DCU has opened up some studies here. And we are now reaching out and in discussions with UCD. And I hope that this will be uh, all the universities of Ireland can one day do something here because knowledge should be for everybody. Um, and uh, like I said, I think one of the most important things is trying to find, un, should we say, knowledge that doesn't have an agenda attached, which is one of the main reasons that Nsaini does not monetize rewilding. Uh, there's no tourism here. I don't sell pony rides. So whatever we discover here is the knowledge and it's going to be done by people who are not me. Um, and that's very, very difficult from a scientific point of view to find um, locations that are not tampered with so you can have real science because most other rewilding projects have a certain element of tourism or they have another function. Um, and that unfortunately does hinder science, but that's not what we do here. And uh, we take a very, very extreme kind of approach to trying to um, open up uh, the scientific side of it. So large areas of the land, for example, are not crossed during majority of the year. One such track we were talking about, I set a track at the beginning of the year for people to walk and everybody walks in single file because we believe the less you interfere, the more likely you are to have um, things grow and uh, animals return. And I think our, our um, successes show that that seems to work. Yeah, and you've had some really interesting and surprising things like when you first um, start, stopped mowing the lawns or stopped grazing the lawns, you had a lot of ragwort and then after a couple of years that seemed to kind of just stabilise itself and now there's no weeds in, in large parts of the land. 
um, and that's without any herbicides or pesticides so it's kind of speaking to that concept that if you just leave a ecosystem to to find its equilibrium then then particular species won't be able to overpower the rest yeah and i think that was always something that i believed in my gut but i just had no proof and um the ragwort was a funny one because uh i at, at first when i started this i didn't have an I didn't know exactly what I was doing, so I sort of felt that I needed to do a hell of a lot more than I do now. And interventions like uh, manual pulling out uh, certain weeds, trying to do things or add things was sort of the, my original approach. But then as time went on, I realized I really didn't need to do anything because nature is anything that's supposed to grow will grow. The default setting for the environment is biodiversity. If you give it enough time, the biodiversity will eventually sustain itself. Um, I happen to have very, very high quality land, which makes this whole uh, rewilding thing in County Meath ludicrous because I could be making a lot of money and I, and I used to make a lot more money uh, when I was using this for farming, but money is just paper and our evolution, our ecosystems are, are worth much more. And uh, so I tightened my belt and I decided to do this approach. And at a time where rewilding wasn't really a buzzword, it is a buzzword now, everybody and their, and their neighbors talking about rewilding these days. But 10 years ago, you wouldn't even hear that term thrown around. In fact, I didn't even call it rewilding back then. It was nature conservation. Um, now I don't even like to call this place a rewilding project. I prefer the term rewildernessing project. And what's the distinction there? Um, I think... I've always uh, tried to bring the wildlife back and the wild and rewilding these days is a lot of safari parks, it's ecotourism, it's all that stuff and there's nothing wrong with that. Those are great things and people need to monetize what they can and then at the same time not cut down the rainforest. So any project that's doing that is great. But that's not what I'm doing here. I wanted uh, that wild animals to be wild and one such example we saw is the deer. Now you did not see the deer on our walk today. I did. But, oh you did? I saw one run off. Yeah. Oh well there you go and he didn't stick around very long did he? <laughs> so not like the Phoenix no, Park. He was now, disappearing. <laughs> I know many other rewilding projects the deer might be more friendly or more used to humans. Not here. You, I mean I didn't even see it so you have better eyes than me. So they just shoot off and that's the way animals are and including my work with the otters and the whole um, introducing animals back into the wild again concept is that humanity should be completely away from from the wildlife and animals should naturally be fearful and if animals become too accustomed to us their behavior will change if we adjust the ecosystem too much they will change what happens when we let the ecosystem go back to default well I mean I showed you a few examples of what I think is happening and one such a, uh, example is the destruction of invasive species, which is very unusual. And ha as far as I know, I have read quite a few pieces of uh, writing from various rewilding projects, but I have not really found any one piece of data that suggests that animals turn on invasive species. That, as far as I know, is fairly unique. But our approach here is somewhat unique. Yeah, and that's for Laurel's related to rhododendron and that's a huge problem in much of Ireland. So. Yeah, and for your audience, we, we're seeing large areas of laurel being destroyed and ripped apart and broken down and continuously targeted. Uh, and cherry laurel, like rhododendron, is poisonous it, and nothing eats it in this country and it grows and grows and grows. But we started seeing things starting to grow underneath it and the thinning of laurel and 
full-on destruction. In fact, I told you a little story there about the two, the two stags knocking over a laurel tree. Um, this, if I, you, you were to tell people this, they wouldn't believe you. Um, but the fact of the matter is, we are always in a constant state of movement. The environment is moving and changing and evolving. And that's why I don't put a lot of weight in many of the things that other rewilding projects do. I mean, we, we of course love native species, but we are not uh, against non-native species. We are also adapting because the environment has adapted a lot in 100 years or 200 years. And we're not looking backwards, we're looking forwards. And what we need to see is where we're going to be in 500 years time. And what are the, some, of the, some of the biggest challenges you've faced with the project so far from the, your neighbors or from the council or from government? Well, um, my personality seems to rub people off the wrong way. Uh, so I have had a lot of hostility uh, originally at the, with the neighborhood. But over time, um, like water, we've, uh, we've managed to sand down some of the more abrasive stones. Um, and the thing is, is that when people get an alternative idea, the normal you know, knee-jerk reaction is to resist it or go against it. If you see it enough times, if it's heard enough times, people get used to the idea and they buy into it. And that has happened a lot with my journey here because when I started this, everybody thought I was an idiot. Now only one in three people thinks I'm an idiot, which is great. Uh, I only get called an idiot once a week now. <laughs> used to be every day. But the truth is, is that people are more open and they're seeing it. And that's one of the reasons why I do these tours. It's not, like I said, to, to sell tickets. It's to get people excited, to show them what's happening. Because a lot of this should be pushed on governments. And, and, and this has a lot of potential for the future. And not, I don't believe that we should be rewilding the whole planet. But we need, like with agriculture, we need spaces. We have corridors because what creates biodiversity is movement. It's introduction of new gene pools. It's constant movement. Anything that stagnates rots. I mean, you guys are doctors. If your leg stagnates and the blood stagnates, you have to cut the leg off. And why is the ecosystems any different? So I'm very keen on promoting anything that creates a different concept. And farming, industrial farming is often blamed for the destruction of the environment. I am not one of the people that blames industrial farming. I make the status quo does me very well it has allowed me to do this rewilding project but of course the current status quo is not good enough we are spending a lot of time and money spraying chemicals that are poisonous to both ourselves and the environment we should not fear industrial farming we should be looking to evolve industrial farming to the next stage which is incorporating concepts of of the ecosystem concepts of rewilding to make uh, this industrial farming less detrimental. It's called progress. And the thing is, you have nothing is certain, nothing is correct first time around. It takes many evolutions for us to get to where we need to be. You know, people say it's not natural, but it's not natural for us to fly planes either. But I like my plane rides. So eventually, like with the ecosystems, we will have enough information to be able to use nature with industrial agriculture. And that's the future. And that's what I'm trying to promote here. I'm just promoting the side that nobody's talking about just yet. What I found really scary in the midst of that lovely thick forest down there was when you mentioned that there will be a railway coming through it. So is that a definite plan or is that just a threat? Because I, that would be something I really, really wouldn't want to see happen. I want to come back to this place. So here's the thing. 
we need train lines. We need electric cars. We need progress. But the problem that Ireland has always had is that we don't really assess where we're at. There is one major rewilding project in Ireland at the moment, this one. There are a few other little projects here and there, but nothing of this scale, nothing with this level of notoriety. There was once a railway line on near that forest, and uh, so there isn't, it's not coming out of nowhere, but that railway line was built by hand, by in fact, funded by this family, in fact, at a different time when um, our ecosystems were not pushed to the limit, when we didn't have almost 50% of all animal species in Ireland in the red list, when we were not the lowest tree cover country in Europe. And at a time where we are promoting more taxation on normal people and more demand for green solutions, and here we are trying to destroy, and we were in a very mature forest, there are 300 year old trees there, and it's not enough what they destroy, it's also the effect. Because remember what I said to you, the biggest problem is partitioning of ecosystems. When there's no movement, and even some of the things that we're discovering here, it's based on the things that we have free flow of movement. If we start enclosing things, chances are we're just going to revert back to the Phoenix Park. And that's the problem. See, development is natural. We need to find solutions, but we also have to be very clever. We need to be take stock of what we do have available in this country and not destroy any more of it, or be very, very careful with what we do destroy. Unfortunately, when you're trying to achieve votes, when you're an unpopular government or an unpopular party, you just wanna do something that's, should we say, good for optics. But the truth is that there's, this is, would be a disaster for us and I think it would actually endanger the project because it would split this estate in half. That means half the animals would be on one side, half would be on the other side. There would be no crossing. There would be no trees. Many of the species that have returned to this place were in the very forest you were in. The woodpeckers, the first lot, were in there. Um, like I told you, the otters were a big one as well when they returned. And a lot of what's happening with the deer, a lot of that behavior is based on the fact that they have land to walk. And it's not just here, it's beyond. It's my neighbors as well. Partition us, this land becomes very, should we say, stagnated. Maybe a lot of the things will continue, but maybe not. And the project will probably, well, it'll be on life support for sure. I am very stubborn, so I will never quit. But I will certainly uh, perhaps not have as valuable a scientific contribution as we could have had. But at present, uh, to go back to it, it is proposed. It makes very little sense from a population perspective because it only services three stops. Now, they say it'll cost half a billion euros, but... Uh, the governments these days aren't very good at their accounting. I mean, how, how expensive is that child hospital at the moment? <laughs> so half a billion is more likely a billion for three stops. Two of stops that make sense. One stop, well, let's just say Paddy the Builder has now dezoned that land around Kilmesson and they will be buying that sheep. And we all remember the Celtic tiger around here, so I suspect nothing has much changed. But they will be fighting for with me and I will be fighting back because the thing is, is that my family has always tried to do the right thing by this country. My relative Horace Plunkett built two and a half thousand schools because he believed the way that the Irish could stand up and be free was through education. Now, more than a hundred years later, I say it's time for Ireland to stand on its own two feet and say we should be leading the green movement and showing others that our green heritage is here to stay. And I would say 
as a proud Irish person and many people around me would agree that it's time for us to really be leading because we're a small country, but we're a small country with great ideas. Really, I was really interested in, in some of your ideas and in propagation of forest and, and in your poplar projects and all that. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So when I started this, I had no exact plans, but as I discovered more and as I discovered knowledge, I began to learn about things. I discovered that we had a tree called the black poplar and I learned about this tree and I read about the tree. And I, as a, as a mantra, decided that I would enrich my mind every day. So every day I read about something. I take one plant, I read about it. Remember, um, when I started this, I have no formal knowledge. I'm not a PhD, I have no doctor. I barely got to class before midday when I was in university. But now, that's, nobody likes excuses and I needed to know about this stuff because if I was going to challenge the status quo I needed to know something so I started learning so I discovered about the black poplar we discovered this tree with Trinity College actually and we found out about its rare or its dwindling population and the reasons why and I don't like to see things disappear from the landscape of Ireland they're stealing our heritage and what's worse is we can't blame it on another nation anymore we can only blame ourselves and that's even worse so I decided that that's not good enough. The people of the future deserve to see black poplars in the landscape. So we decided that we were gonna try and expand on these trees and promote them. We did something very similar with the black bees. Um, we are trying to preserve the black bee by creating a, what I like to call the onion effect, by creating situations where they can live together. We, we put uh, bee boxes up luring um, black bees that are already here and also inserting other black bees to kind of keep the ecosystems and uh, the gene pools fresh and they help uh, expand those populations and outcompete some of the more toxic or i like to call toxic um, foreign bee gene pools which are currently weakening our native bees and uh, we are very quick to blame farmers and chemical companies but the truth is our own habits are also adding to these things our uh, pursuit of cheap honey, for example, is a major contributor to the destruction of the bees in this country. So that's not good enough. So we drew a line in the sand and said, we're going to do something about that. I was reading that the owls are on the red list. So I decided that's not good enough. I saw a barn owl here. I said, fine, I want lots of barn owls. So we don't use poison. As I told you at the beginning of this conversation, we are vegan. So we consider all animals to be equal. Now, animals will kill each other left, right and center, but we don't. Um, and that's the idea. So I don't believe in, in controlling species. And even invasive species I am fairly lax on these days because I'm seeing that given enough time and enough possibilities, we're starting to see changes anyway. So, and uh, one of the other pop, uh, things that we're doing is rehabilitating animals. What used to be an industrial farm with an, one of the top industrial farms in the country at the beginning of the 20th century, which is Dunsany, um, we had all these old pig pens and, and cow sheds and horse sheds. We've been slowly converting them for animals because the wild now needs our help. Every generation is battled, has, a, has a, a, a fight. You know, at one point it was our freedom, then it was our poverty. Now Ireland's doing pretty good. We have poverty, of course, like many other countries, but we don't, we're not where we were back at the beginning of the century. We are progressing, there's education, there's opportunity, but what we have not done is protect our environment, protect our nature. So now we have to protect the ones who can't protect themselves, and those are the wild animals, and that's what we're doing here. We have converted our farmyard into a 
what I like to call conveyor belt for nature. We take injured animals or orphans from, that are in critical condition, they get looked after by the wildlife hospital, then they get brought here for what I like to call rehabilitation. We slowly get them used to being, fending for themselves, being in the wild, and we have a couple of um, pens. And the first pen is, should we say, more human-like. There's a box, they go in there, etc. And then we move them from pen to pen, and the final pen is a forest with the walls around it. And what they'll do is we'll leave them in there and then we'll feed them and slowly they'll get more scared and more elusive from the humans. But because there's dirt and trees, they get used to climbing, they get used to digging. And then eventually the door will open and out they'll go and they're back in the wild again. So like I said, conveyor belt for nature. Because unfortunately, um, the future isn't solved. The problems of the future aren't solved by a government. It's solved by crazy people. Crazy people who take a stand and go in a different direction and are not scared to do things. And I believe that uh, I have never been able to achieve in academics, even in my own career. I have sometimes been criticized that my movies aren't very good, but it doesn't matter. We never stop fighting because in the end, we take pride in where we come from. We are the environment. We are the country we live in. And whether you're from here or whether you are second generation or third generation or even 10th generation, it doesn't matter. It's not where you're from, it's where you're at. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you want to know more about Donsaini, you can go to their website, donsaini.com. And they're not open to the public uh, at any time due to their commitment to keeping the space as protected as possible for nature. But Randall does offer walking tours through the summer months on Sundays. So you can contact him and try and get a spot on one of them. We'd highly recommend it. <laughs>